So, uh, let's continue this discussion by talking a little bit more about Romans uh, 11. So, I want to read just a little bit from Romans 11. Okay, so in Romans 11, I'm going to do some summarizing. Um, but in Romans 11, he Paul gives this picture of an olive tree, a, a cultivated olive tree. And that represents Israel. And then he talks, he's talking to um, a group of people, just for some context here. This is in Romans, so he's writing to the Roman believers. In this group, you have a mix, um, but a, a lot of them are Gentile believers who, because they're Romans, they don't have a great taste in their mouth for ethnic Jews, um, especially the ones, especially the Gentiles who have faith in Christ. A lot of this, you also remember the context of history, Jesus was crucified not that long ago. And so a lot of that is re really still fresh on their minds. Um, and they're, a lot of them are being persecuted. They're being treated badly by the Jews. The Jews and the Romans already had a lot of anim animosity between each other um, just because of politics and how all of that works. Then you add to the mix that you have some Gentiles who have come to faith in Christ, who is the Jewish Messiah, the Messiah that all of their prophecies have pointed to. So it's very easy to imagine this sense of moral superiority that has come about in this uh, group of people. Um, again, going back to this analogy that I'm, I'm going to refer back to a lot, but Imagine that I've got my biological children and I've got my adopted children. And imagine that my biological children are being disobedient and disrespectful and rude and uh, just all around bad. And my adopted children are being little angels. Uh, imagine if they were young children. I would hate to think of this as adults, but... Imagine the kind of animosity that might happen between the young children in this case. Um, the sense of moral superiority that could come about. Um, that's kind of what was happening. The Gentiles were becoming pretty arrogant that they were the ones following Christ. And that the Jews basically missed the boat. They missed their chance. Um, so Paul is writing to address this. Because Paul, being a Jew himself, is passionate about the salvation of his people. So passionate, in fact, that he says uh, in another verse, If I could trade my salvation so that all of Israel could be saved, I would do it in a heartbeat. Paul said, I would instantly go to hell. I would take hell right now if it meant that my people could be saved. So he's not going to take this lightly then when you've got some arrogant Gentiles coming in there talking trash about the Jews. So that's the context that we're bringing this into. So he pictures this olive tree, this cultivated tree that stands for Israel. And you have the branches and the roots. The roots of that tree are the patriarchs. Abraham, David, um, this 
foundation of faith that God's woven throughout history, through his covenants, through the, the ways that he's particularly dealt with his people, and the ways that he has used them to reveal himself to the world. And so that those are the roots of this great tree. The branches of this tree are current Israel. When I say current, I mean at that time. Um, and so they are... They are the ones like Paul and the apostles who were raised up with the teachings of the Torah, who were raised up to expect a coming Messiah. And they look at Jesus and see him as the fulfillment of that prophecy. That God had made a covenant with his people, that he would save them, he would ransom them, and he would wash their sins away. He would make a new covenant with them, in which he wrote his law on their hearts, that they would not have to offer sacrifices day in and day out like they used to, but that they would be eternally resting in Christ. They would eternally be resting in this new kingdom with an eternal king. Um, that's, that's what they realized. That's what Paul understood in Christ that Christ was the fulfillment of all of that, and that he was welcoming them into his new kingdom. And so for those who believed in Christ, who were Jews, it was the most natural thing in the world for them to look to this Messiah who fulfilled hundreds and hundreds of prophecies before their eyes. It was the most natural thing in the world, just like a branch growing up out of a root, out of the trunk of a tree. And so this is believing Israel, um, of which Paul and the apostles are a part. But he goes on in chapter 11 to describe this tree, and he says that you, meaning the Gentiles, you were from a wild tree and you were grafted in. This is very important. You're part of the tree now. You may not know how grafting works. I only barely know how grafting works. But what I do know is that when you graft a branch onto the tree, it's part of a tree. He didn't plant another tree and now there are two trees. He grafted the wild branch onto this tree. And then he also talks about how some of the natural branches were cut off. And he's very particular. They were cut off because of their unbelief. But this is where he brings it home. This is his real point. We use this to discuss the, the merging of God's people into one. But this was his real point. That you were grafted in, and yes, some of them were cut off. But they were originally part of the tree. It's a whole lot easier for them to be grafted back in the tree than it was for you. So don't get it twisted. Don't get too arrogant. Because if you are unbelieving, you'll get cut off again. Now, without getting into a discussion about losing your salvation, we covered that in the last season. This is a, a general warning that it's only by faith in Christ that you're on this tree to begin with. But for these branches who were part of the original tree, for these people who were brought up in original Judaism, who were brought up under the teachings of the Torah, who are uh, physical descendants of Abraham, 
these promises are right there for them to believe. I think that um, one of the big, uh, why it's so hard to talk about oftentimes with dispensational theology and covenant theology, one of the big things that ends up happening is people begin to start, uh, it gets thrown out about like anti-Semitism basically, like, oh, well you just, you hate the Jews, don't like the Jews, think that the church or Christians are somehow better than, you know, the, the Jews and that's that's sometimes a criticism that kind of gets thrown out there um but really like the only way that you can arrive at that conclusion is really the same way in which you can the only way that you could ever feel that way um and the only way that you could be like oh well that's what you believe is just simply not understanding that whole aspect of of faith like it's all it's always been faith like we you know, you can't, there's no room. Paul's making it very clear to these Gentile Christians, like, you don't have room to be arrogant. You don't have room to be prideful because you were grafted into this thing. And that's that's the thing, too, is, like, covenant theologians, I don't know how well uh, we do that. I don't know how well, like, people who, who study it and who are, like, actual, like, theologians do. But it really, I think it's good to point out that, like, and we've had this discussion not on here, but even in, in private or whatever, but like Christianity is the extension of, or the continuum. It's the post Jewish Messiah coming Judaism. It's like real, it's real Judaism, <laughs> you know, like we're not we're, the same way that we would say, well, dispensational theology essentially has the two peoples of God where you have the Jews and then you have the church. We're trying to say the exact, sometimes covenant theologians act the same way like they believe that there's these like two peoples of god but what we're saying is essentially is that we're we got grafted into them and anyone who believes whether they're ethnically jewish or not we are we are that real and true israel and there's really not any room to to be arrogant right and paul pretty well makes that clear within uh romans 11 he's like yeah Okay, so, I mean, he just says it, so I'll just say it as he says it. The reason that Gentiles were even grafted into the faith to begin with, um, I mean, again, I would take this with the totality of Scripture, so maybe not just read it as it says, but he says we were grafted in to make them jealous, to make Jewish people jealous, to make ethnic Israel jealous. And in that very same sentence, he's like, yeah, um, right, and that was pretty great for y'all. And then right afterwards, he's like, you imagine how great it would be for you if um, more Jewish people then, then repent and turn to Christ. Like, we were talking about this because we were trying to get our bearings on what, um, how exactly we were going to cover this this particular uh chapter and like for me whenever you know i think about that it's it's it would be i think it would be almost on the same level as a rabbi of paul's standing as far as knowledge of the old testament and stuff uh repenting and then being able to share like 
through the power of the Holy Spirit share like insight into the Old Testament that we would you know get a great boon from we would definitely without fail um, be encouraged and enlightened and taught uh, by that so like if there's for whatever reason anybody who's like screw the Jews because whatever reason then they they ultimately just they've never either read that part of the bible or they're choosing to be ignorant so that i don't i don't know how you come away with being anti-semitic so that's really the part of this that i get the most passionate and excited about um because again we we talked a little about about uh replacement theology by no means do I believe that we replace the Jews. We are grafted in, and so that means that we, as Gentiles, ought to have the utmost respect for them. <coughs> but the ones who believe in Christ and the ones who don't, because they came before us, they carry the teachings, they carry the history, they carry the culture and the context. We... We owe our salvation ultimately to Christ, but we owe our identity and our culture to them. They were the carriers of our culture um, because the culture that we have in Christ is not our own. It's not natural to us. Um, when I gave my life to Christ, I say that loosely, he already owned it. But when I acknowledged that Christ owned my life and I submitted to him and to his leadership when i acknowledged him as my king i gave up my allegiances to any other place to any other thing i gave up my own culture i gave up my personal ethnic identity and the identity that i've been grafted into is the one that was carried by the jews and so i have the utmost respect for them and uh, this, is, this is kind of what I, I believe Paul was getting at when he said a branch that's been cut off from the tree can be easily grafted back in. So when I was working in uh, youth ministry, there was a student who brought her cousin one, uh, one Wednesday night. And I'd been teaching about this passage of course, my understanding at that time was um, really very early on, but I was kind of hitting at some of these themes even then. But what stood out to the students at that time, that I kind of had a reputation with the students at that time for loving the Old Testament and loving Hebrew. Um, I still do. I'm currently looking across the room at a shelf full of Hebrew books and um, books on Jewish culture. It's very precious to me, and I, I love the depth of studying the Old Testament and the, and the Jewish roots that are there. So my sermon that night had been full of that kind of thing. And so this student was very excited to bring her cousin up to talk to me at the end of the service because her cousin was Jewish, ethnically Jewish, and religiously Jewish. Um, they celebrated Passover, they celebrated Hanukkah, they did all of the all of the things today that Jews do. And of course there there are different degrees of that today. There are different um, different groups, but 
she was very excited to hear all of that because when she initially heard that she was going to her cousin's Southern Baptist Church, as you can imagine, she was feeling pretty scared. But then for her to hear all of these references to the stories that she was familiar with and, and to the people, the characters that she was familiar with, she was excited. And she was very interested in Jesus. She hadn't heard much about him, but she was very interested because she saw the connection between Jesus and the culture of Judaism. And so as I sat with her and I shared the gospel with her, I brought out Romans 11 and explained to her that for her to believe in Jesus is a much richer experience than even for me to believe because she has been raised with all of the prophecy. She's been raised with all of the precursors to belief in Christ. Uh, now, I'm not talking about some of the more modern uh, agnostic sects of Judaism that exist today. There are some that are a total departure from what we see um, in basic Torah-believing Jews, but um, that was not her family. The Old Testament was very familiar to her. She believed in God unquestionably. Um, and I saw a light come on as I explained how Jesus connected to what was said in the Old Testament. Because she had been raised to believe that Christians just kind of broke off and did our own thing. And um, from a dispensational point of view, that's not really too far off. Again, that's kind of painting with a broad stroke, but to the Jew looking to the dispensational point of view, they felt very disconnected. Um, and, and that had been her experience with Christians, with the church, capital C. But when I sat down and explained to her the ways that Jesus, Jesus connected to the Old Testament, a light went on in her head and she understood, I believe through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, she understood that Jesus was the Messiah of her people. And not only of her people, but the whole world. Um, and that's what I believe Paul is talking about. When a true Torah-believing Jew who has that richness of culture looks to Christ as the Messiah, there is a depth there that we as Gentiles cannot touch. And so we should look in reverence and we should long for and pray for the salvation of ethnic and cultural Jews for that reason. So, that then brings us to the question, um, this, this is more of an eschatology kind of thing, but we'll kind of dip our toes in it just for fun while we're on the subject. Will there be, at some future point in time, a, a massive resurgence of faith in Christ among ethnic Jews? Yeah, um, I hope and pray that that is the case, and I, I think we should all do that, um, no matter what, you know, our adjectives are. Um, I believe that the, I guess you'd call it a parable, with the 
um, olive tree and, and the regrafting in of the of the cutoff branches indicates Jews, future Jews, not not the Jews currently at that time who are already believers, but I believe that it indicates that their unbelieving Jews will come to faith in Christ as the Messiah. I'm not sure that it's this grand awakening at one time. I think that's where the question lies. Is this a gradual thing that is just happening through history, or is this a thing that happens um, like all at once? And, and I, I, that's where the question is. I don't, I don't have a firm belief one way or another. I think something that Dustin may bring up here in just a second puts me kind of on one perspective. But man, if you take away that one verse, like I was at a completely different perspective. It's grace, I think, is the thing here. Yeah, so the train of thought that Nicholas brought up is also from uh, Romans 11. And yes, from these verses, I, I do think that there will be more believing Jews. Um, not just like it's, Paul seems very for certain on that. Um, again, I don't. I don't really know if I, if I think it's just along and along, or if Scripture frames it as, like, it's going to happen in one big way. And the reason why I'm on the fence about it is uh, from verse 25, and a little further down in Romans 11. Uh, so starting at verse 25, lest uh, you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. Uh, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And uh, this will be my covenant with them, and I will take away their sins. So uh, most people, I feel like, come at that with well what does all what does all israel mean it's like is that god saying is he going to save all the jews at a later point um personally like just through reading like even earlier in romans um it's pretty clear that there are people who are not who are of quote-unquote abraham like from the line of uh jacob yeah from the line of jacob who aren't who are cut off and it's made pretty clear uh, so I don't think they just get like a special pass um, so just through general understanding of the rest of the Bible that I think that's pretty clear um, but where I would where I'm getting hung up is where it's like it seems to read a partial hardening hardening is upon ethnic Israel um, came upon Israel I'm pretty sure he's talking about ethnic Israel when he says that right there in this particular context until the fullness of the Gentiles come like I don't know what that means like does that mean all the Gentiles have to hear of Christ before this hardening of the Jewish people's hearts is going to come off or or what I mean the way he says it seems to point in that direction but there have also been Jewish people who've repented and believed along and along throughout the course of history. So it's kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. So, Yeah, that brings some of the same questions to mind for me. I mean, 
there are the the fact that there are messianic Jews, the fact that those are two words that go together, you know, tells us that there are Jews today and, and in the past and in coming days who who come to Jesus. And so that in my mind, I'm sure there's more options than this, but that leads to two options. Either this unhardening of the hearts is happening gradually throughout time, or the other thing is what is the fullness of the Gentiles? All Gentiles. Is this all Gentiles in the world, period? Or is this all Gentiles in the known world to Paul? Because if this is all Gentiles, all people groups in the known world to Paul, I wonder if we can say that it's yes and, right? Um, it will be it will be when it, the fullness of the Gentiles before the Jews come to believing, but also the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so that's why we're seeing Jews coming to believe. Yeah, well, see, I've, and I'm just sitting here thinking, if it's... If it's the very literal way of taking it, once all Gentile people who are going to believe believe, mm-hmm. like if is if it's taken that way, then at that point, like why why would Gentiles then continue to preach the gospel to other Gentiles if you're like if that's what if that's how it's supposed to be interpreted. Yeah, because we're seeing Jews come to faith, so it's like, oh, well, all the Gentiles have believed. Yeah. Right. So is, I see what you're saying. Well, that and it's just like, well, Jesus, you know, we we did what we were supposed to with the Gentiles. I guess we won't talk to them anymore. Like that kind of, so I don't, I don't know. Um, so there's that. And then I had one other way of thinking about it that I forgot. So I'll pass it off to Dustin. So this is my reading of this verse, and I I submit this humbly and also reserve the right to revise this later on. But So you take that verse in 26, and in this way all Israel will be saved. And the question to ask then is, what does in this way refer to? That can either refer to the previous verse, or it can refer to the following verse, Um, just as a trick of language. Now, full disclosure, I've not dug into the um, original language here, so if there is a if there's a simple explanation in the original language, then we'll come upon it eventually, because we're not done studying this by any means, um, and you'll probably hear about it in a future episode. But for now, um, just by nature of our language, that can refer to either um, the previous verse or the following verse. Um, <clears throat> the What has been discussed with uh, the other guys is, is more along the lines of, in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So, that reading says that Paul here is transitioning. You know, the uh, the Gentiles are grafted in, but in this way, the Jews will be saved. The Deliverer is going to come and basically get them all together. So, there's a, a pause there, and 
then in this way the Jews will will be saved. I feel like also another way of coming at that to see which way you know, if you're supposed to go to the verse before or after verse twenty six, what does the next phrasing have to do with the passage that follows the next phrasing? You know what I'm saying? Like what would the quote that Paul you know like how, what, how is it applicable? Is it does it make more sense with verse 26 or does it make more sense with verse 28? Well, I'm I getting guess. there in a moment. I don't I'm just like contributing to the conversation, okay? Like I'm thinking out loud. So <laughs> edge here. My thinking out loud. My reading of this uh and and I've not I've not read another person who reads it this way, but I've not read it broadly either. So my reading is that the in this way that Paul is referring to in verse 26 is the way of the Gentiles coming in. So that it, it goes something like this. Uh, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, by doing it this way, by having uh, part of Israel hardened so that the Gentiles can come in, by doing this, all of Israel can be saved. In parentheses, all of Israel includes the, the Gentiles. So by placing a partial hardening on Israel, I'm giving opportunity for the Gentiles to come in so that all of Israel can be saved because all of Israel includes the Gentiles. As it is written... The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And so that quote then is just kind of a summary of the covenant that he's made with all of Israel, with all of those people. Um, the Deliverer being the Deliverer of, of all of those people. So that's my humble submission of, of that, uh, my interpretation of that verse, which is to say that Paul is kind of playing with the language there as he does earlier up in the in the chapter. He's been playing with that. He's been playing with this idea of who Israel is, um, which is important, again, considering the context of who he's talking to. So he's been making all of these points previously. He's been saying, okay, guys, not all of Abraham's children are Israel, and uh, not everyone... Uh, who is uh, not, not everyone has to be a biological descendant of Abraham to be part of Israel. So then he's kind of driving that home. Partial hardening has come upon Israel so that the fullness of Gentiles can come in. So that way all of Israel is saved. That way we've got everybody. We're not leaving anybody out that's supposed to be part of Israel because that includes these elect Gentiles. And so in this way, all of Israel is saved. So that's my reading of that. But to the question of whether there will be a resurgence of ethnic Jews believing in Jesus, I don't think that uh, I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. So I think it's possible to believe that this verse is referring to uh, just Paul making the point that 
Israel includes Gentiles, while also maintaining that there will come a time in the future that God draws a larger group of ethnic Jews to himself. Now, I don't, I don't believe there's room in Scripture or in just in a knowledge of history to believe that God pushed pause on the salvation of Jews for the church age. Now, there are some people who believe that. I don't believe a lot of serious Bible scholars believe this, but when I'm talking about your average person sitting on the pew um, in a dispensational environment, they do believe that God pressed pause on the Jews and that there aren't really any Jews being saved right now. That's just not a belief that's tenable in my opinion because there are so many ethnic Jews who are coming to a genuine uh, faith in Christ at this very moment. I'm I'm not saying this. Like I'm not saying that the people that believe that are this. Uh, I'm only making a point. If we're if we're going to say that a view is anti-Semitic, isn't it that one? Yes, correct. I mean, you're just you're writing off a whole race or ethnicity or religion and saying like. These aren't capable of coming to Christ right now. I I don't I don't see how that's a very gracious view of the Jewish people, and I think most dispensationalists would would believe that they have the most gracious view of the Jewish people. That seems inconsistent to me. I don't believe that dispensationalists actually are anti-Semitic. I'm I'm just saying like the reality of that view um, seems more so than than you know it seems to warrant that more than than ours. Yeah, and John Piper kind of makes that point a little bit too in, in an article that he wrote um, because it is ironic that the beliefs that we have about Israel and their salvation today, which largely comes from a political and dispensational point of view, they arose out of this desire not to be anti-Semitic. But those tend to be... With their natural conclusions, uh, they tend to be more on its face anti-Semitic than what's plainly presented in Scripture, which is that this is Paul's response to anti-Semitism. There was a large anti-Semitic sentiment in the church at that time in, in Rome, and that's exactly what Paul was writing to address in Romans 11. And so I, I think to... Uh, to avoid anti-Semitic thought, we need only adhere to Scripture. It's already there. But these other beliefs and viewpoints about Israel having special rules, it really kind of comes off as uh, patronizing, and um, it kind of strips them of, of dignity as well. Uh, that, they, that they would need something different Um that they're in some way not capable of simple faith and trust in Christ. Right, and also, when Jesus came, I mean, obviously he was talking to a lot more Jewish people than he was Gentiles. I mean, he did talk to Gentiles and all that. But, you know, the verse everybody loves, John three sixteen, he said that to a Jewish man, and I don't think he was just leaving out the Jewish people when he said that God so loved the world that he gave his only son just so that uh, 
I don't think Jesus was like with the caveat, except you guys. I'm not. I'm not talking about you guys right now. He also told a Gentile that he did not come to feed the dogs, and the Gentile said, "Well, you know, let me get the let me get the crumbs." And he was like, "Okay, you're, you're you know, you have faith." Um, Jesus was here for the Jews primarily, and I th- I think Paul hit on this. It is through that purpose that we have been very like graciously uh, shown mercy through God's care for his people, Israel. Right. And so just to kind of further point out how this really gets flipped on its head, um, the common belief, the common just in the pew, not going to seminary, only, you know, re- listening to sermons on Sunday, armchair theologian kind of belief from the dispensational uh, Christian Zionist kind of point of view is that the church believes through faith in Christ. And that's that's what was given for us to have entry into heaven. But the Jews get something different. They get something special. But faith in Christ was first for them. It was offered for, like, that belongs to them. That, that's theirs. We are borrowing from that. So, when a, when a Jew, when an ethnic, uh, biological descendant of Abraham comes to saving faith in Christ, they're not borrowing from us. They're not borrowing from the church. They're not joining the church, uh, in that, in that way of thinking. They're not, coming to our way of salvation, to our understanding of salvation. We are going to them. We are going to their way of salvation, even if they are not themselves doing it. This is the salvation given first to the Jews, made known first to the Jews, and then to the rest of the world. So when we trust in Christ, we're following their rules even if today many of them are not following their own rules. We're following their rules. It's not the other way around. Yeah, back to that same analogy is a little, um, should I say revelation? I'm going to. Um, that just hit me. Um, when a, you know, that same analogy with the, with the dog and the scraps, when you bring plates out to a table you have recipients in mind, and it is those who sit at that table. But the discards, I'm having a hard time putting this into words. <coughs> the Jews were those sitting at the table. Jesus brought, we'll say the bread, bread of life, to the Jews first. But it is us who benefited from the discards. It is us who benefited from what the Jews did not accept and did not use and, and, and consume. And so... Even though he came to feed the Jews, we were fed by what the Jews didn't receive. Well, there are a couple of um, parables that say exactly that, that the, the wedding feast was originally thrown for them and they didn't show up or they had other things going on. Um, and so go out to the highways and the hedges and 
get whoever will show up. Um, that's us. We're, we're what's left. Uh, so just as per my personality, <clears throat> and us all being of the reformed persuasion, I just, I f feel the need to, like, kind of stress that, um, while all this stuff is true, it's also simultaneously true that, that, like, God didn't just come up with this plan as Jesus was born into the world. Like, it was always the plan, this, his way of doing it. Um, it's just that we were going to be, the Gentiles were going to be the way in which he chose to make Israel jealous. So, that's, that's earlier whenever I was talking about what Paul says and said in Romans 11, I was talking about, you know, taking it in with the totality of scripture. That's, that's, that's what I was alluding to, but yeah. Correct. And, and that, that's another reason that I for now maintain my interpretation of all of Israel being saved, referring to the fact that Gentiles are included. I think, for example, of the comments that Jesus makes to the crowd who followed him across the lake after he fed the 5,000. Um, and he says, I've got sheep in another flock, which I, I believe is kind of is foreshadowing the Gentiles. I've got sheep in another flock, and they know my name as well. So it was always his plan to include us. And the rules of salvation haven't changed. But the revelation of that has been gradual. And so when he, when he made that covenant initially with Abraham, they didn't know that. Abraham didn't know that there was going to be someone named Jesus uh, who would die on a cross to atone for sin. But God did. And that's exactly what he was promising uh, even back then. So it's important to understand that with that interpretation in mind. Yeah, so I, I have one question. It's a question of clarification, and I, I think I've already worked it out in my head, but I want to ask anyways because I may not be the only one. Um, there may be listeners that have the same question. Um, when you say that in your, from your perspective and in your opinion that all of Israel includes believing Gentiles. Um, how do you make that jive with in that same like piece of scripture there being also like mentioned all Gentiles and then all Israel in two separate categories and then all Israel also being inclusive of that. I mean I think I've, I think I've worked it out because for if the Gentiles are part of Israel it is necessary for all Gentiles to come in for all of Israel to be there. But anyway, that, yeah, it was a question that popped to mind originally. So again, I, I think Paul is kind of playing with the language a little bit there, but just to kind of wrap it up with my, going back to my analogy of biological children and adopted children. Um, as we sit here today, my wife and I, we plan in the future to adopt children we have three of our own right now, biologically. Now, we plan to adopt, and so I'm saying this tentatively, but today I'm thinking about um, 
if I think today about my will, if I were to go ahead and write out my will, planning that or hoping that I don't die for another 50 years or more, when I'm writing that my wealth or my whatever, my three books that I have remaining, whatever I have on my deathbed, is to be divided among all my children. Um, I have in mind that right now that means my biological children. But that phrase, all of my children, in my mind, doesn't just include my three biological children right now. And so if I want a picture with all of my children, and I'm thinking about that picture existing 40 years from now, I have to take some steps to adopt some children so that all of my children can receive my inheritance or so that all of my children can be in that picture. Does that make sense? That's not a perfect analogy, but I understand that I have three biological children right now but as I'm thinking of the future I believe that includes children who are not currently here and so if I use the phrase speaking of the future all of my children I'm including those adopted children as well and so that's how I that's what I mean when I say all of my children yeah that makes sense and another quick analogy that's come to my mind that kind of helps me picture it now thinking about it is if you have a um, a large jar and a smaller jar inside of that larger jar, to fill the larger jar is necessary to fill the smaller jar. So for all of Israel to be included, if the Gentiles are part of Israel, it is necessary that all of Israel or all of all of the Gentiles come into faith. Right. So we'll uh, we'll leave it there for this episode. Um, much, much, much more to be said on that. We may pick back up on this if we ever do a season on eschatology. That'll be a lot of fun because there's certainly a lot to be said about Israel regarding the end times. But for now, we're going to leave it there. Hopefully you're, um, you're going to leave this episode and go Google some stuff or go look up in some concordances, whatever. Um, but for now, we'll, uh, we'll leave you there. So once again, I'm Dusty. I'm David. I'm Dustin. And I'm Nicholas.